Take your Bible, if you would, please, tonight. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, please. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Welcome all of you who's joined us by way of live stream of our radio, wherever you are. So glad that you've joined us here at Joshua Baptist Church tonight. Take your Bibles now. We'll be looking at just a few verses, all right? And uh, I want you to, uh, first of all, look at chapter 10, verse 17. Just for a little introduction, chapter 10, verse 17. And the Apostle Paul says, But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Now Paul's got a problem with somebody in the church at Corinth running him down, questioning his apostleship, questioning his authority. And uh, old so-and-so has got him a crowd together. And old so-and-so don't mind at all showing his credentials he got from up at Jerusalem. And probably running around with three or four degrees plastered to the back of his shirt. And he don't mind at all commending or recommending himself. And Paul said, let he that glorieth glory in the Lord. Paul was not one to paint his own boat. He was not one to commend himself. And he knew and he felt that if he's going to speak, speak about Christ. Don't waste time speaking about himself. But the time has arrived where that Paul, out of necessity, has to defend himself. There will always come a time when a preacher will have to defend himself against false doctrine, against false prophets. Because under heaven, Paul is responsible for these Christians at Corinth, at Ephesus, Thessalonica, at Philippi. Paul is personally responsible for those. And this first verse is understandable only in the light that this chapter, Paul goes in to defending himself. He says, verse 1, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly. Paul felt it foolishness to have to defend himself. Paul felt that it was absolute folly to spend time that could be spent in glorifying and exalting Christ. And here he's got to spend time defending himself before a bunch of people that he had personally won to Christ. And he had confidence somewhat in them. Notice the next phrase. And indeed, bear with me. He had confidence in the folk that they could see through the false doctrine. They could see through the false prophet. And we'll call him old so-and-so in the church. And every church has got an old so-and-so. 
who has another plan on one hand while he runs the preacher down on the other. He always has an agenda. It may start out with just such an insignificant thing. And it may start out with him telling somebody that can do nothing about it. And it's just insignificant. But there's an underlying spirit in it. Somebody's trying to paint his own picture, climb his own ladder to a place of power and prestige in the church. Nothing new. Nothing old. And Paul said, I've just about had enough of it. And he said, would you bear with me just a little bit while I act the fool and straighten you folks straying out? We're having a good time, aren't we? Notice what he says now in verse 2. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I want you to get the full, full meaning of that. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom you have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Stand your ground. Don't give in. Don't get caught up in emotions. Don't get caught up with his theatrics or his preaching ability or his credentials or his many degrees. Verse 5, For I suppose that I was not a wit behind the very chiefest apostles. Paul said, Name one apostle that has done what I've done. Have any of the apostles written 14 books in the New Testament? Did the other apostles sit at Gamal's feet? Talk about degrees, man. He had more degrees than a thermometer. And yet folks in the church, good folks, would rather believe a lie than the truth. But though I be rude in speech, 
yet not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Isn't it amazing? <clears throat> Paul started the church, discipled the church, built the church. They watched him. They did not pay one red dime to support him. They never bought one biscuit or one cup of coffee. And a Johnny come lately comes in the church dressed in a 500 botany suit, riding in a, in a Mercedes and drives up and says, what are you following that nut for? And a bunch of baby Christians jump on board. Could I speak to you tonight on Father Knows Best? Boy, I'll tell you. Has anybody here ever, when you were younger, questioned your father? It's amazing how stupid he was when I was 16. And how brilliant he was when I was 21. And I didn't even know he went to school during that time. You ever see that TV program, Father Knows Best? Now notice, if you would please, Paul... He's writing to the church as a father, as a loving father. And Paul, as a father of the church, he really knew best. Notice, if you would please, let me help you a little bit. Paul in addressing a divided church. Now, we're fortunate, folks. I'm the only preacher you've ever had. And, and I know I've, I've changed in some areas. I've, I hope and pray I've matured in some areas. But in some areas I have not changed. I've not changed doctrine. Not one single doctrine. Not, not one. I've tried not to change in my, in my approach to separation and holiness. I've tried not to do that. But I, I think maybe I, 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 I am more kinder than I used to be. I hope maybe that I'm older and more, more mature. And before I say something, I go home and at least think about it about two, 10 seconds. Used to, I didn't think about it at all. But, but I hope I've changed somewhat. And, and I hope, I hope I, I've done that. Uh, and uh, we are very fortunate not to be divided doctrinally. Not to be divided uh, because I will not allow preferences to divide us. Uh, you know, some guys want to part the hair in the middle. That's fine with me. Some folk don't want to part the hair at all. That's fine with me. And some folk don't have any hair at all. That's fine with me too. You, you talk about, there are some preferences, ladies and gentlemen, that's not worth uh, World War III or worth uh, our church split or worth a divide, divisive spirit. There are just some things that's not worth that. Now, if several years ago, it would have been worth it. But it's not worth it anymore. I'm too old to fight. I'm a better lover than I am fighter. And I'm too old to love, so I go to sleep real early. So everything's all right that way. So I, I just thank the Lord that we have not had thus far. Now, Brother Jim and I know there's been attempts to divide. Now, there's been attempts, attempts to divide us. And to somewhat, we never had a church split. We've always had a constant splinter. <laughs> but many are called, but few are chosen. And, and, and here's the thing. 
We're probably the only church in town that don't believe in being seeker-friendly. We believe in being Savior-friendly. We're not here to please people. We're here to please the Lord. And we're not here to let people change us. We're here to allow our church to change people. You understand? And that philosophy of ministry is carried on through. But Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians to a divided church. One that has allowed legalism and Judaism to slip in. And now we have uh, a Judaism and we have uh, legalism and we have uh, grace. And the church is just all confused for the lack of strong leadership. Servant leadership can be strong leadership. And all of leadership in the church ought to be servant leadership. There ought not be any big dogs, little dogs. We all just sinners saved by grace. And uh, no job or no ministry is bigger than any other ministry. I'll tell you what, the fellow who sweeps these floors and keeps this thing shined is probably as good a soul winner as are in this church. And preaches with power. And before he got here, he was president of a college and pastored for several years. And what an adjustment it was to come to America and become a janitor. But he's done it because he's a servant before he's a preacher. And anybody who's not been a servant does have no business trying to be a preacher. And so I believe with all my heart, he's right into a a church that is split. And someone has entered the church in Paul's absence and has divided the church doctrinally, has divided the church on philosophy of ministry and preferences And Paul refers to them in the chapter here in verses 13 through 16. Could I please draw your attention to that? Paul refers to a brother so-and-so that has slipped in the church. Look at verse number 13 of your Bible. For such are false false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also are transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. Paul refers to brother so-and-so's crowd in this text and look like he's pretty plain. Would you say that? See, brother so-and-so came to the church with references. If you read 1 Corinthians, you notice they came with credentials. The church at Jerusalem wrote letters and gave to him to take down the corner. Paul's got no letters. Paul has no degree. Paul's just a squint-eyed, small-statured, Hard to look at, contemptible in his speech, kind of soul winner. Nobody wants to come here. Paul preach, he's ugly. Everybody likes to see old Smiley preach. Got all that hair fluffed up and his big old smile from here to Everybody wants to see old Possum Grin do his deal. You talk about a false prophet. He's so false that he ain't no prophet about him. You can put as much scripture as he preaches in a sermon in a thimble. 
All it is is motivational psychiatry and psychology. All it is is feel-good theology. Keep that money coming. Now, Paul wouldn't even be listened to if old Smiley's on the platform. So, Paul warns some pastors about that. Would you take your Bible for just a minute? Let's go to Acts chapter 20, if you would, please. Acts chapter 20. This is not a... A secluded incident just in the church at Corinth. But notice if you put please in Acts chapter 20. Please. And I, I think this behooves us to see because this is not dead. It's still very much alive. I can tell you church after church after church in this area. Where the godly people like yourself. Little older people. Spent years and years and years building the church, paying the bills, sacrificing beyond imagination. And a hot shot, contemporary thinking, listening to the wrong kind of music kind of guy comes in and changes all the leadership, changes the music, runs a choir out, gets a praise team, puts drums and instruments on the platform and they sing him 7-Eleven songs every Sunday morning for about three hours and actually runs the people who paid the bills, the people who were Baptists, the people who founded the church, run them off and they take over the church without any work at all. You'll see them because they'll start dropping the Wednesday night and Sunday night services. You'll see them. They'll start having a drive-in prayer. That way you won't miss television. Because you know there's some good programs on Wednesday, I guess. By the way, do you ever find any instant prayers in the Bible? This is not dead, folks. Notice what Paul's told the preachers, the pastors... At Ephesus, chapter 20, verse 28, please. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Be careful now. For I know this, that after my departing, Shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock? Also, of your own selves shall men rise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that for a space of three years... I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. That threat has not died. That threat is still very much alive. You know what Jesus said about those folks in Matthew 7 and verse 15? 
He said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raven wolves. So now if it would be all right for you for the next 15 minutes, I'll refer to this sheep stealing Wolf in sheep's clothing, deceitful worker, false apostle, minister of Satan as brother so-and-so. Is that all right? I said, is that all right? This is Paul's attempt to convince the church that he loves so very much. Number one, of his love. Chapter number 11, Paul is trying to convince the church of his love. You know, it's hard to convince somebody you love them unless you love them like they want you to love them. And most folks love the way they receive love. We're not born lovers. We're born little devils. And somebody has to show us how to love. And it's very difficult. I I don't know if you know this or not, but it is very difficult for a pastor to prove that crowd that I love them and that crowd that I love them and that crowd that I love them because they all interpret love in a different manner. And Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and trying his best to convince that crowd that number one, he loves them. And number two, he's writing to defend himself and says, I want to show you what I'm made out of, what I've been through. What I've done for you. And I'll show you what you've done for me. So bear with me a little in my foolishness, he said. Are you listening now? It's a sad day when a preacher's got to spend valuable time defending himself before Christians. Would you agree with that? This time ought to be spent in glorifying the Lord and uplifting the Lord. And encouraging you in your faith. And trying to grow you in your faith. And all of us growing together. But isn't it a sad, sad day. When a fellow with the credentials of the Apostle Paul. Has to spend time. Talking about himself. And vindicating himself. And thirdly. He's going to expose old so and so. For what he really is. Look at verse 1. I'm only going to spend just enough time to take care of the first point tonight. I hope you have your notes. Verse 1 he said, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Have you ever heard that jealousy was a sin? Have you ever heard that? Uh, Humanly jealousy is a sin because it's. It's inferiority. It's an insecurity. 
But a godly jealousy could not be sin because God cannot sin. And the trouble with us, we confuse jealousy with envy many times. God has a right to be jealous over those that he's died for, purchased with his own blood and belongs to him. He has a right to be jealous over those. Now, as much money as I put into ginger, I have a right to be jealous. Ginger has nothing to be jealous of here, but uh, that's beside the point. But a husband has a right to have a godly jealousy, not an insecure jealousy. As some folks is raised in such a situation that there's an insecurity. And if the husband or wife gets out of sight, they got a private eye for them. Because they just know somewhere during the day they're going to meet somebody that's prettier or better or smarter or richer. And they're going to take off. When actually they're not having wanting to take off. It's just there's an insecurity there. Possessiveness is an insecurity. And Paul says, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Notice what he says. And Paul has a right to be jealous. You know who started that church? You know who won that church to Christ? You know who went without pay to do that? You know who suffered to do that? Do you know when he got to there, his back was still lacerated and bleeding and sore from being in Philippi in the jailhouse and getting whipped and beaten and he was still sick and still hurting when he got to Corinth and there he built a church in that condition. He has a right. He is their spiritual father. He says, you have not many fathers. Is that not so? And he's serious about that. So as a loving father, notice what he says now. In verse number one, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Notice, for I have espoused you to one husband. In Paul's day, the women did not have a choice about who they married. The father picked the husband for the daughter. And it was the father's responsibility to keep that daughter pure, chaste, and a virgin to present her to her espoused husband. And Paul said, now church, you're the bride of Christ. I've espoused you to one husband. It is my God-given father responsibility to keep you doctrinally pure, morally pure, because I have espoused you to Jesus Christ. And as long as I'm breathing, I'm going to keep you pure. As long as I'm preaching, I'm going to keep you straight. As long as I'm doing it, I am your 
spiritual father. And I have espoused you to how many husbands? One husband. You get this now. Please don't get mad at me. We're just having a good time. And he says, since I've been gone, you've become just a dab dirty. You've got you another gospel. You've got you another Jesus. You've got you another spirit. Now bear with me in my folly, he said. Oh, I know you'll bear with me because you're saved. A little dirty now, but you need a bath, he says. Is everybody having a good time? You say, well, preacher, if you got up and did that, I'd get mad and I wouldn't care. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't float my boat one bit. You say, well, don't you love me? Yeah. But I've espoused you to one husband and it's not of the world. It's my job to keep you clean spiritually. It's my job to keep you informed spiritually. It's my job to spank you every once in a while. It's my job to encourage you every once in a while. It's my job to brag on you every once in a while. Because we've all been espoused to the same bridegroom. Amen? You say, well, you take a lot on you. No, the Holy Ghost set me. Over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. You remember reading that a little while ago? So, you see... Isn't that a beautiful picture that Paul says, I'm responsible for you because I'm your spiritual father and I've espoused you to one husband. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 14 through 21, Paul talks about about him being their spiritual father and that he loved them and he's, Isn't it amazing? As young as I am, I'm some of you old folks' father. (laughs) Watson's older than dirt, and I'm his father. Spiritual father in the Lord. Spiritually taking care of him. Spiritually loving him. Spiritually encouraging him. Spiritually keeping him straight morally. Watch what you're watching on television there, watching Some in ball games, it kind of runs you, buddy. <laughs> but isn't it a wonderful picture? Paul says to the church at Corinth, I'm jealous of you. Hmm? Jealous of you. Because I love you. Because I have great hopes and aspirations for you. Because I know one of these days at the coming of Jesus Christ, I'll present you a chaste virgin at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Notice if you would please the jealousy over the church. And the picture is one of, of a wedding 
Noticed now verse 3, the peril. Notice the picture in verse 2, a bride, an espoused husband, a daughter, and then she's been espoused to one husband, not, not anybody else. And that's the picture of the church, the bride of Christ. But now notice the peril in verse 3. The peril is, but I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve. Do anybody remember that? The serpent beguiled Eve. Through his subtlety. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul said, you know, so-and-so, he's really not the problem. The problem is the devil. See, if somebody may walk up to you and whisper stuff to you that does not, you can't fix and don't know anything about. Please hope and pray there's not a subtlety behind what is said. Some of us just have garbage mouth, open mouth, insert foot. But some folk, there's a spirit behind it. And what old so-and-so was doing, he was trying to put, put place doubt on the Apostle Paul. Well, Paul should have taken care of that. Paul should have come when he said he was going to come. Makes no difference if the Lord didn't allow him. He should have come when he said he was going to come. By the way, have you seen Paul's ordination? Wonder where Paul graduated from. Just doubting the guy who God has set over the flock. Because they can't build their own flock, <coughs> they got to come in and steal sheep. They dress like us. <coughs> Might even talk in King James language. But you better be careful. And you know what they're after? Is your mind. Your mind. And they're very subtle about it. You say, well, shoot, they'll not get to me. They got to Eve. And he got to Adam. And they were in direct fellowship with God. Notice the serpent. He is experienced at what he does. Now, please be patient with me. I'm just about done. Let's just take a hypothetical situation. A Christian that's been saved three or four weeks. Probably don't know the books of the Bible yet. How much chance do you think he has with the devil? 
Well, take a person that's been saved for 20 years and don't read their Bible. What do you think? What, what do you think about that? The devil is so much slicker than any of us. It absolutely amazes, amazes me how easy he can get to me. No, how easily he gets me to act like him. Now, I know you folk don't have that problem. But in every waking second of my day, my heart's desire that I would walk with Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit, and be like Christ. Before you know it, I'm in a fist fight. Oh, that's figuratively speaking, of course. Now, I know none of you folks that way. But I'm still having trouble. I'm telling you the truth. I'm still having trouble with the subtility of that stinking devil. And Paul said, we might ought to be careful. He said, I fear lest by means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility that your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity or the devotion that is in Christ. And I want you to know something. He didn't have much trouble with Eve. Did a pretty good job with David. And the wisest man is ever born had a thousand mother-in-laws. Tell me how smart that sucker is. But what's even worse than a thousand mother-in-laws is a thousand women wanting him to eat dinner at her house. Now you tell me how smart that is. Got to Samson. Didn't have much trouble with Judas and he was walking directly with the Lord 24 hours a day. And Paul said, Demoth hath forsaken me having loved this present world. Man, we better be careful. You know, I just believe Satan is a good counterfeiter. Uh, you, you need to realize that. Do you ever give anybody a $20 bill and they hold it up to the light and mark on it? Do you think they really know what they're looking for? I know I don't. And I've never had them turn one down. I think maybe they're just trying to impress me. I think I'll ask them one day, what you're looking for? They'll probably say, I just found it. This was no good and just tear it up. <laughs> Did you know that the devil has a counterfeit trinity? Revelation 19 and 20. Hmm? Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. Did you know that he has a counterfeit gospel? Galatians 1, 6 through 9. If anybody comes to you preaching another gospel, let him be accursed. If he has a counterfeit trinity and he has a counterfeit gospel, he probably needs a counterfeit Bible. And you know, there's only three manuscripts. 
And since they all are different, they all couldn't be perfect. Does that make decent sense to you? You don't, you don't have to need to know anything about manuscript evidence. If they're all not the same and they're all are different, they all could not be God's inspired, divine, preserved, infallible word of God. You can't do that. So the devil is a tremendous counterfeiter. And uh, if you uh, find God's word, God's word will always make much of the virgin birth. Now, if you find one that don't, you might be in the wrong camp. God's word will always make a much of sin. You know, like fornication and adultery and sodomy. Now, God's word always condemns sin. You find one that softens up on sin, you might have the wrong one. Because the devil's got to have his Bible. If he's got his gospel and he's got his trinity, he's got to have his Bible. And I'll tell you another thing God's book always does. It makes much of the deity of Christ. It, uh, it talks about the redeeming virtue of the sinless blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, you take a, anything that takes away from a blood and you can bet it's not from heaven. Uh, uh, God's word always teaches about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and does not try to condemn any scripture that validates that truth. God's word always makes much of salvation by grace, separation, and soul winning. Now, you find a Bible that does not do that, then you'll probably not find Matthew 6.33 in its entirety because they omit the word God. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I believe I'd rather seek the kingdom of God as just seek the kingdom. How about you? Now, if your Bible left out God, you might have an inferior situation. Remember when they tried to cast out the demon and they couldn't do it. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, why could not we cast him out? Now, if you got the wrong Bible, it is left out for this kind cometh forth by prayer and fasting. Why would God want to leave a verse out of a Bible? Talks about prayer and fasting. You see, God's Bible still has Matthew 18, 11 in it. It says, for the Son of Man has come to seek that which was lost, to seek and save that which is lost. Why would anybody want to take a verse like that out of the Bible? I don't know if you know it. I know you know this. But, you know, we don't make much about it around here because we got God's word and we use it. Isn't it strange that the devil left out John 7, 53 through 8 and 11? And if you'll notice right before it goes into John chapter number 8, it says this portion of scripture was not found in the 
earliest manuscripts? Does early make correct? Huh? If that makes it so, I'm more correct than any of you folk. Because I am one early bird. And getting earlier all the time. You see, you remember the testimony of the Ethiopian eunuch that got saved? What hindereth me from being baptized, he asked Philip. You remember that? And Philip said, if you believe, you can be. Ethiopian eunuch gave his testimony. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The devil left that out of his Bible. I wonder why. See, we got to be careful, folk. You want the devil like to do? He'd like to slip his Bible in. If he slip his Bible in, he'd slip his trendy in. And it ain't long till you got a gospel that's not the Jesus you receive and not the spirit you receive. Huh? And not the gospel you receive. Paul said, would you bear with me a little bit in my folly? I wish I had time to talk to you about the preachers of this false doctrine, but I don't.